Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today is November 8th, 2022. I'm putting that out there because I want people to know what date it is when I'm doing this podcast so that they can respond appropriately if they have an interest in what I'm about to say. Today, we are going to have an interview with Neil Fletcher. Neil's a common contributor to this podcast, and he has some stories to tell about his summer sale up in Sweden. Now, I was trying to get Neil to join me on my Atlantic crossing on leg number two, which goes from Porto Calero on the island of Lanzarote in the Canary Islands to Mindelo, Cape Verde. And he was thinking he was going to be able to do it, but he looked and he could not find somebody to take over his business for that period of time. Neil's one of these guys that usually jumps at opportunities, and he wanted to jump at this opportunity but he wasn't able to pull it off. And then this week, actually yesterday, I got a call from my other crew member who was committed to joining me on the passage. And he's 71 years old and he has developed some health issues and he does not feel comfortable going on this sort of an adventure. So he apologized, but he decided he needed to back out. Now, I still have time to find new crew And that's why I'm putting this notice out. I would rather have people that listen to this podcast join me than other people, because at least you know a little bit about me. And I'll have to take some time to get to know you if you decide you want to join me. So this is the opportunity. I have two positions available beginning on January 25th, 2023, joining me on the boat in Porto Calero, on the island of Lanzarote in the Canary Islands, and there's direct flights from Spain down to Lanzarote, and sailing with me for the 870 nautical mile passage from there to the town of Mindelo in the Cape Verde Islands. That's a total of uh, 870 nautical miles. I estimate it'll take 12 days, but that crew is expected to get off the boat and depart on February 7th, and then the last and final crew will join me after that. But the final crew is filled up, the initial crew is filled up. So the initial crew is from Almiramar, Spain, down to Lanzarote on the Canary Islands. That is a committed crew. And the final leg from, and the final crew from Mindelo, Cape Verde, to Grenada is filled up. So these are the only two open positions available. Now, if you decide to join me, I will have you sign a (laughs) a release of liability form. And you will be expected to share in the expenses of the boat, which basically are fuel and food and food and fuel and uh, marina fees. And I just checked some marina fees are not that expensive. Fuel, I have no idea what the fuel is going to be, but I'm hoping I will be sailing most of the way. We don't have enough diesel on the boat to be able to motor that distance. We have enough diesel to be able to motor about hmm, 48 hours at the max. After that, we are out of fuel on the boat. So 
It's going to have to be sailing. So if you have an interest, email me, franz1, and that's the number one, at medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. Again, that's franz, the number one, at medsailor.com. franz1 at medsailor.com. You you can read the details of the passage by going to the website, medsailor.com, and click on the Atlantic Crossing Crew Positions tab. So, again, if you have an interest, reach out to me as soon as possible. I'm going to fill up that spot as soon as I can so that I can continue making my preparations for the crossing. All right, now on to our interview with Neil Fletcher. I am on Skype with my friend Neil Fletcher. took us a while to connect on Skype, but we're finally there. And Neil, you were thinking of joining me on my crossing, but it turned out you couldn't. I'm disappointed, but I understand. But you have some stories to tell about this summer adventure, and I'm looking forward to hearing them. Yes. Yes, I certainly do, Franz. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Um, it's It was the most ambitious um, uh, summer that I've had since I bought the boat in the fall of 2015 in terms of where the boat was and where she was going to finally end up, and both in terms of the variety of the uh, situations that I was in, because we started off on the Baltic coast in Odegrund, where I've been uh, keeping the boat for the past few winters, and we basically came down through the Stockholm archipelago. We went up into the Jota Canal, which was built in the 19th century and at the time was considered a marvel of engineering, but it basically bisects the country so you can get to the West Coast um, through the canal, which was a fascinating experience. And then I spent um, a little over a week on the West Coast, which was a whole different experience, wonderful in uh, in different ways. So it was great in a lot of ways, but it started off uh, in the most unpromising way possible, which uh, I'm happy to dive into. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I arrived in the third week of June, uh, Tuesday, July, uh, June 21st. And I do did what I always do. Um, if you fly into Stockholm, Orlando airport, and you book a, a rental car at Hertz, because of the rules of Hertz, they always have to have economy or small, small cars, compact cars there, but they are at least available to book, but they never actually have any on site. So you buy the cheapest, you reserve the cheapest car you can get, and then you know you're going to be upgraded to a Volvo, a new Volvo station wagon or SUV. That's what always happens to me, and this is what happened this year. So, And this was the first year that I'd been back since uh, before COVID, since 2019. So I was sort of itching to get back to the boatyard. I'd sent him a few emails before, sort of starting six months before, letting him know exactly when I would arrive and that I wanted the boat in the water. And I had only got one response, which was right at the end, which was when I asked them what the code was to their bathroom and showers. They hadn't responded to me at all, although that was normal. They're pretty unresponsive, but they'd always got the boat in the water. So I wasn't too concerned, um, but uh, that turned out to be a presage of something bad uh, to come. So anyway, I drove up to Oregon, which is about 90 minutes drive. It was a beautiful summer evening. And just as I got close to the town of Oregon, which is a very sleepy little place, um, 
up there, as I said, on the Baltic coast, I'm going through the winding Swedish countryside, the leaves are on the trees, and I'm just feeling so great, um, <laughs> anticipating a wonderful summer. And then I get to the boatyard, and the boat is on the hard, the boat is not in the water, which is an immediate cause of concern for me, because it takes a couple of days for me to get everything up and running. And this was Tuesday evening, and I had guests flying in from Los Angeles on Sunday after, Saturday afternoon, expecting to go sailing. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't the greatest of beginnings, but boatyard was deserted. So I just got on the boat, started looking around, started prioritizing things, making lists of what I had to do and the order I had to do them in. And I just figured, well, I'll wait till the boatyard crew arrives tomorrow, Wednesday morning, and I'm sure they'll put me in the water. So I get out of bed, I climb down on Wednesday morning the, the, the ladder, and as soon as I put my foot on the ground, I have this agonizing pain in my right foot. I have absolutely no idea what it, what it is. Um, so I'm sort of a little concerned about that. And unfortunately, I don't have any hard-soled shoes. I just had some, uh, some flip-flops and some water shoes on the boat and a pair of hiking boots, and, which I'd worn with me. And none of them were really suitable for, <laughs> to sort of deal with this pain that I had coming from my foot. But I just tried to put that on the back burner, and I just thought, well, I'll get on with the work as best I can. So around 9 a.m., uh, one of the workers showed up, a guy by the name of Daniel, and I said, hey, you know, my boat's supposed to be in the water. Can you get it in this morning? And he looked very, very sheepish and said, well, I don't really think so. As far as I know, you're not on the list, and we've got Midsummer coming up. Um, and I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with Midsummer, but it's like Christmas to the Swedes. It's, you know, it's the longest day of the year, the summer solstice. And they go out and party like crazy. Everyone who has a boat uh, goes out into the archipelago. And the, this was still two days away. But he said, we've got so many locals. You know, I don't know when we can get your boat in the water. And I said, look, first of all, I've been coming here for three or four years. I told you in January that I wanted my boat in the water. And I didn't get any response. I said, but, you know, I, I do know you've been getting my emails because I got a response about the code for the bathroom. And he... Swedes are really wonderful people, Franz. I've got a lot of time for them. I've had some really good experiences. But one thing I know is that they don't like conflict. And he was very, how shall I put it? He was very evasive. And I said, little by little, I wheedled out the, the, what had happened. Because I said, let me just speak to the owner, Leonard, who, I, who I've known for a few years. It turns out that Leonard had retired and that there had been a power struggle essentially between this fellow Daniel and this other fellow who was a worker there called Robin, who actually won the power struggle. Um, and they were basically power boaters with no interest or concern for sailors whatsoever. And not only could, did they not want to put my boat in the water, but they didn't even have a rigger who was going to tune my rig for me. Um, and so this was, as you can imagine, this was very concerning for me because I had guests arriving from the other side of the world and I was having a hard time walking around. So, uh, as you can imagine, the first couple of days were pretty nerve wracking for me. So I'm on, on, I'm on Google maps looking at Oregon. So where is the Marina we're talking about? Is it around the corner to the right? Yes, that's exactly it. Um, if you are, uh, if you go around, let's see, to the right, and then you come down, you'll see a boatyard 
The place I'm talking about is called Greppen Marin. Yep, okay, I'm right there. Okay, good. So that's okay. okay. So it, it, you know, it's a ten minute walk into town. Yeah. Um, and I've had my boat there for a number of years, and they've always been great. But when um, when co- when companies change hands, you never quite know what you're going to get. So rather than try to shout and scream, which doesn't really work in Sweden, uh, in America, of course, you can threaten to sue people and ruin their Yelp reviews. But in rural Sweden, they don't really care very much about that sort of stuff. And it's always better to be be amenable and try to compromise as best you can. So I figured I would speak to Robin later on the same day. Well, Robin didn't show up on Wednesday. He did show up on Thursday and he avoided me for two hours until I cornered him in his uh, office. And I said, look, this is and I told him the same thing I told Daniel. He took zero responsibility for not having the boat in the water. He denied ever receiving any phone calls or emails from me. Um, And then he said, well, maybe we can get you in sometime next week. And I said, look, don't (laughs) tell me next week. I said, my friends are arriving on Saturday. This is just not, it's not good enough. And I said, uh, and and he ummed in the yard. And then to add insult to injury, I couldn't find couple of my big i couldn't find my sails on the boat but they do have a storage facility there and it occurred to me that since it had been three years before i may have left them in the storage unit that i'd been allocated and that i paid for so he couldn't find the key to the storage unit um i go back to my boat and about 20 minutes later he walks up and he says oh by the way the storage unit is open i go up there it's full of st- i open the door france it's full of stuff from that I do not recognize from someone else, from some third party. So I pulled all that stuff out, and underneath I found my items. I found my sails, some lines, um, various other bits and pieces that I needed. But what had happened was that they had sublet it to someone else. Now, this person hadn't hadn't taken my stuff, but nonetheless, it will give you an idea of the shockingly bad service that I was receiving while I was there, and it just added insult to injury. So um, anyway, midsummer came, which was Friday. Um, everyone went out and I and I everyone went out on the boat. Uh, the crew left, I think, and boatyard around 2 p.m. And I spoke to Daniel before I left. And he left. And I said, look, can you just help me? Can you launch my boat for me? Even if, you know, just can you is it, can you possibly come in tomorrow? I'll pay you extra and he said you don't have to pay me he said i'm sorry for the way you've been treated he said i'll come early in the morning and i'll launch your boat on my own he said but i can't stay very long because my wife won't want me to leave on a saturday saturdays they don't work anyway so anyway he was as good as his word he showed up about 8 a.m on saturday morning which was about five hours before my guests arrived and he actually uh, launched the boat. You know, they have a sort of a tractor system with the trailer that they that they do. It's all very sort of do it yourselfy. But they launched the boat, which enabled me to finish up a few other projects. And then I headed out to Orlando to pick up my friends from the airport. And I met two friends who I sail with in Los Angeles. I explained the situation and they're good people and they sympathized and empathized with me. And they said, well, I guess we'll leave when we leave. <laughs> so so we spent Saturday night on the boat and then we spent Sunday day just looking around Oregon and finally finalizing a few bits and pieces. But the boat still does not have a mast or a mizzen mast. And I, and I don't even know where the mast is because it's somewhere or other offside. 
So, um, but what I decided to do was I knew that they'd have a busy Monday morning with people needing the crane. So I just maneuvered the boat under the crane, tied it up. And when they came in on Monday morning, I just said to Robin, hey, my boat's not moving until you put my stick in. It's just as simple as that. <laughs> and he tried to tell, well, it's the masters and he said, I don't care. I'm going to display as much care for your problems as you displayed as for mine, which is zero. And at that time, someone walked up to him in Swedish. He was expecting his boat to be to have to be rigged. And he had to explain and he pointed to me. He's talking in Swedish. He's not very happy. And then another person came up and you could tell that with each new arrival, Robin was becoming more and more anxious. So finally, he picked up his cell phone. He called somebody and Daniel showed up about 15 minutes later with my two masts. The first one they put in um, and then. Then as soon as they put it in, they said, OK, you've got to move your boat away. I said, no. I said, you, we need to tighten everything up. We need to check the check the we need to tune the rig. And he said, we, and he said, I already told you, we don't have anyone here to tune your rig. The one person we did have, we let go six months ago because he had an injury and no one else in the neighborhood from the other marinas can do it. So I weighed my options. And frankly, Franz, I just wanted to get the hell out of here. It's now Monday afternoon. I've got these two guests on board. Uh, um, and so I just simply put the mizzen tight, lashed it down to the deck and, um, we took off and I, I didn't bother for them to give me a bill. They knew how to reach me if they chose to, <laughs> I certainly wasn't going to pay it if they gave me a bill. <laughs> And I'd gone and I'd gone through everything in my storage unit, took everything I needed. There was a lot of redundancy and things that I didn't need that weren't expensive. And I just left them there. And, it's, and my attitude is you can clean out your own goddamn storage locker. So <laughs> it was um, it, it was a very unpleasant and unswedish experience to begin with. Um, however, we left Oregon. And we turned right and we headed down towards Grislehan, which you can find on um, on Google Earth if you follow it down. I can, I've actually got the latitude and longitude of everything, which I can give you if you want me to. But basically, if you if you the the uh, the latitude and longitude of Grislehan is sixty point oh nine six one north. Just just spell it for me. It's easier that way. G -R -I -S -S. Oh, G-R-I-S-S-L-E-H-A-M-N. G-R-E, oh, it'd be good if I could type. G-R-I-S-S-L-E-H-A-M-N. H-A-M-N. Where's the S? G R I S S? Oh, yes. okay, got yes, two S's. That's my problem here. So it, that's about twelve nautical miles on an inside passage. You know, as you know, there's there's many outside barrier islands, but where Oregon is, it's on an inside passage. And if you go about uh, eight to ten um, nautical miles southeast you come to grislaham yeah it's a nice little inlet it looks like yeah yes it is and it's got an it's got an uh it's it's divided on the the east side goes out into the baltic and the inside and the west side is a separate harbor where there is uh nice camping facilities and you get a lot of people coming over on ferries from finland and from poland across from the orland islands and there it's sort of a gateway into that part of sweden so 
I guess we, we motored down there. We got there late. My, my crew was very, very flexible. And I made them a nice um, uh, Swedish meatball and a Swedish new potato meal. And we opened up a couple of bottles of wine and we laughed about our experience. Um, so and then we just decided that we were going to have as good a time as we could. And we would resolve whatever issues as we went along, which involved getting the mizzen mast up, which wasn't a problem. I mean, you can what we ended up doing was we just attached the main halyard um once we got safely into harbour we just attached the main halyard to the top of the mizzen mast we had someone grind it up one of our crew members and myself and mike just um put it in place because it's a it's a it's a, it's a light mast it's easily handled with two people um and mike who's a runner gave me he recognized what was wrong with my foot immediately i had a nasty case of plantar fasciitis i believe it's pronounced it's something that people typically get in their 50s um it's younger sometimes if you're a runner and basically are, are you familiar with that yes uh, i've had drunk? it as well you've had I've it, had it yeah. as well and it, it still rears its head every now and then and then i put my inserts and wear them for a month and then it seems to go away so so it, i looked at youtube i looked at some exercises you can do but the key to it is just keeping the weight off so you know when you're when you're on a boat and you're just uh you, you you're standing at the helm I just made a point of, you know, putting my weight on my left foot um, and I'd arrange for my next crew to stop off at my house, bring me a, a pair of new New Balance sneakers and get some um, some super feet insoles, which is what Mike recommended. So that's what happened when the next crew came. And over the course of the summer, um, the problems basically went away. So um, <laughs> that was uh, that was another issue which was slowly getting better. Um but so we had a we had a nice evening in Grislaham and the idea was that we were going to make our way south and I was going to have a week uh, with these folks revisiting some of the greatest hits, so to speak, of my time there before. As you know, I, I summered there in 2016, 2018, 2019. So I've got a lot of experience there. But this was since this was going to be possibly the last time my boat would be on the eastern side of the, the Swedish seaboard. I just wanted to visit all the places that I've been to before that I particularly liked. So, so I'm, I'm looking. Hold on. I'm looking at Grislaham. It looks like there is an inside anchorage area and an outside port. So you, you were on the inside, I take it then. Yeah. Now, the reason that we stayed on the inside was because there were 30 knot headwinds coming up from the south and the rig was not tuned properly and i was only at about 80 percent of my capacity physically so and my guests were neither of them were as experienced sailors as i am and and that was the first time on my boat so having had this aggravation with my boatyard, the last thing i wanted to do was throw them in the deep end and no one even in the best of circumstances especially you franz no one wants to beat into 30 no no headwinds. you wait it's, you it's wait for better weather what, what how silly right. you know why exactly. would you want to do that yeah exactly but if you take the inside passage which you can see there on skype mm -hmm. You can go down. Now, it gets pretty small. It turns into sort of like a canal at some point. But if you just follow that inside passage south. So when you're in um, – let's not make things confusing. When you're in Grislaham at the, the, the harbour on the inside, if you move to the left, not more than about two nautical miles, you'll see the – it looks like a long, long inlet, yeah, almost long, like a fjord a going channel. down. Yeah, long channel. Right, right. 
So if you follow that down, you'll see that it gets a little wider in some places and then a little more narrow. And in, in one place, in a little town called Hammerby, you have to go up under a couple of lifting bridges. And there, it's really like a canal. There, you have to be careful as you're, someone's coming the other way. Um, you have to, you know, sometimes you'll only have two or three feet of clearance either way. And then it opens up and it basically comes down into um, the opening of the inlet that leads to a town called Nortalia. So when it comes down to that big inlet there, you can either turn left and head out to the Baltic or you can turn right and go into the town of Nortalia, which is a good spot to pick up people um, because it's it's a it's it's a big town and it's on a it's on the train line for, on the bus line rather from from the airport from Stockholm Airport. So we went basically down that inlet until we got to Grado and instead of turning right to go to Nortalia, we actually turned left and went around the corner to go to a place called Blido, which is B L I D O. I'm zooming in on Grado right now. So. Okay, so if you're in Grado, you'll see that um, from oh, yeah. Grado, mm -hmm. you, you'll see that to the east, mm -hmm. the coastline comes around. There's a place called Kapelskar. And yep. then if you follow that down, head, if you head due south from there, you'll come out into what is not what they call the um, the fairway. They call it the fairway because it's a wide stretch of deep water where all the ferries from Stockholm go en route to um, the Baltic. So the ferries that are heading out to Finland, to Poland, to the Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, if they go into St. Petersburg, they all go through that area. And that is the sort of gateway to the Stockholm Archipelago. So that's where we headed down to. And that town is called Kapelskar, K-A-P-E-L-L-S-K-A-R. Yeah, okay. Exactly right. So I you can see, see that. Yeah, I can see all the ferries uh, that comes in, come, the ferry routes that come in there. and then Right, absolutely right. Okay. So if you bear away southwest from there, you, about um, seven, eight nautical miles, you come to two islands. Uh, the one at the top is you'll see, you may see something called Kopman Hole. Mm -hmm. yep. A-O-P, uh -huh. right. So that's at the tip of an island called, which I can never pronounce. Swedish words are hard enough, but the ones that begin <laughs> with a Y and an X are even harder. That island's called Yixlan, uh, at least in my pronunciation. Okay. And there's a, there's a town called Fudersund, which literally means fairway. And then on the other side of that, there's a place called Blido, B-L-I-D-O. It's sort of to the south of the of – the, there's two islands together with a little inlet going through, and Blido is the one to the south. Okay. There we go. Okay. I'm with so, you. So, good. So I've been to Blido before. Um, the harbour also had changed hands and wasn't as good as it used to be. They didn't have any uh, any water um, and they didn't have any buoys out or they only had a couple of buoys out. So we had to do side tying, which is no big deal. But I'd sort of um, raved about this place as being really good. And unfortunately, it wasn't really good. I mean, it, it was OK. The food in the restaurant was fine and they had some laundry. But um, and it was and it was still early in the season. So I think there were only three or four other boats in the harbour. But there is a uh, there is an eco supermarket about a mile down the road, which we were able to go and provision. So 
we spent the night there and I don't really have anything to recommend. And I've talked about that place before and, and people who want to see more about that place can always look on my website, which is um, sailingarcturus.com. As you know, I need to put a link in the show notes like I did the last time. OK, OK. So uh, I decided to go somewhere new after this, even though the main purpose of my my intention was to go to places that I've been to before and that I knew I'd like. There is one place that I have motored through on two occasions that I'd never actually um, um, stayed at, but is famous in the Stockholm Archipelago. And it's one of the most popular bows to spots, <clears throat> which is the, as many of your listeners who know my voice will know that that's how um, they they anchor over there. I mean, you can drop anchor if you want to, but what they prefer to do is to drop a stern anchor off and take the bow right up to the rocks of these little islands and then tie off to either a tree or a boulder. And, of course, you and I did that in a couple of locations when you sailed right. with me. Mm-hmm. Hey, let and, me hold on. Let me ask you a question on the uh, on the trip down that very narrow inlet that looks almost like a canal. You mm-hmm. have a centerboard. Did would would a regular full keel boat be able to get down that, or do you need to be able to pull up the centerboard to get down that? No, regular full keel boats can can uh, can use that. Uh, the, it's narrow, but it's still quite deep. Okay. I think I think I think the least we saw in terms of depth was about uh, twelve feet. Oh, so, okay, okay. Yeah, not too bad. Um. So I'll tell you the spelling of uh, the next place that I went to. It's actually called, the common name for it is Paradiset. But rather than look up that, look up the name Idholmen, I-D-H-O-L-M-E-N. Okay. I-D. Okay. H-O-L. M-E-N, okay, I-D-H-O-L-M-E-N, okay, so it's in Stockholm then, huh? Ah, uh, okay, so that's another one, all right, so okay, but I'm seeing. I, 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 there's two, one's in Stockholm and another one's farther down, so I went to the one that's not in Stockholm, so I went to this one little tiny island. Uh Okay, near Finham. That's you said it's Finham. Yep. Okay. That's right. All right. Finham. That's exactly right. So, and you'll see from there. Uh, are you able to see that it's a very, very sheltered spot? Yeah. Uh, there's multiple shelters in that area. Yeah. Right. It's really. Uh, I mean, it's justifiably famous because of the fact that it is. No matter what the weather, you're basically completely, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, secure and sheltered in there. The entrance at the south end is about, um, I don't know, it can't be more than 30 meters wide. And the entrance at the north end is probably about 20 meters wide. But that so that is Paradiset um, just off the island of Finham. And it's very, very popular. There's usually a couple of dozen boats that are going bows to all along the shore and there are lots of boats anchoring and you'll see that there's a couple of islands in the middle um the northern one actually has a little jetty that you can tie up to but but just north of there of Paradiset, if you're looking at it as a clock so it would be sort of about 10 o'clock you'll see that where the inlet is there's another little pretty sheltered area there called Idholman and that's where we where we stopped and my guests just couldn't believe it they it's they had the same response that you had and just about everyone else had they they sort of look at it they say well this is absolutely beautiful and when they see that you have four feet of water under your keel they start to get very nervous 
and <laughs> and uh, I gave I gave the helm to my friend Muriel Hamilton, who's a good sailor from Sweden, and I said, "You're just going to I'm going to go on the bow, and you're going to drive the boat towards the rocks." And she uh, gently, slowly, as slowly as you can. And she was very nervous, very anxious about it. And I said, look, I've done this plenty of times. It's my boat. We're not going to we may we may kiss the bottom, but we're certainly not going to put a hole in it. Don't worry. Um, and we tied up without incident. And, you know, 30 minutes later, she's writing in her journal about it's the most beautiful place she's ever been while she six sips a glass of rosé. So um, that's you know, it was it was it. After the aggravation at the start of the trip, this was just the perfect antidote to that. Um, we had our mizzen up. Uh, the, the, the boat, had, the boat, had, the rig had been tuned, and uh, all was right with the world. And we were doing bows too, like you're supposed to do it. And it, it was so. It was. Uh, it was lovely. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, a photograph up there. It looks like there's quite a few boats tied, tied bow too. It looks like there's a whole line of them in Google Earth of showing a couple boats coming in and quite a few tied up already. So now, now Neil, the one time we went to one of the places, uh, we, this is one that was way the heck out in the middle of nowhere. That's the farthest island we went out to. And the problem we had with doing, going bow two was we didn't really have any place to anchor to. And we uh, kept losing our, our bow anchors. Remember that when the wind came up and started yeah, sliding yeah, us off? Yeah, so so that was in Hovedskar, Ho- mm-hmm. which uh, is pronounced Hovedsvær, and that's one of the last outposts. And that place is, it doesn't have the benefit of what a lot of the best bow two places did. It didn't have a lot of tree vegetation, and it wasn't a, a sheltered area. That's the sort of place where if the wind is in the right direction, it's fine, but if the wind changes, you it's not it's pretty unforgiving. And yeah. uh, like you said, it, it was such a narrow passage behind us. Yeah. It was such a narrow passage behind us that we didn't really have place to drop an anchor. So it was a bit, uh, it was a little uh, suboptimal, it's, it, but it was still a beautiful spot. It was gorgeous. It was really cool. Yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed that spot. But but we got woken up early in the morning one day, as I recall, and having to go yeah, and reset did. our anchors. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, typically the way the Swedes do it, they want to be on land, in in contact with land if they can, for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, I mean, first of all, it allows you to expand your real estate, that most of them have got little portable barbecues that they'll take off the boat and they'll cook and they'll have a little alfresco picnic. Plus, a lot of these places have um, vault toilets, which are emptied by the Swedish Archipelago Association throughout the summer. And also there, there's a little ice cream kiosk, and the uh, the Swedes do love their ice cream. So it's first come, first serve, but there's plenty of places to go bow to. And if you can't, you come a little late, then you drop your hook in the middle of that bay. And, um, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world either. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, you just yeah. have to take the dinghy in. Which, yeah. yeah, which is, you know, which is fine. Um, so from uh, Paradiset, we ended up uh, going down to Sandham, and Sandham is a place that you and I have been to before. Um, that is the Swedish yachting centre. They consider it the Monte Carlo of the, uh, oh, <laughs> the yes. Swedish archipelago. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, and the reason that we want one, I wanted to go there just so they could have a, a contrast to um, the Bows 2 experience. And two, I had a little bit of work to do. 
Um, and three, through um, my carelessness, when we were putting up the mizzen and attaching it, I had a retrieval line at the top for the the line the, for the uh, halyard at the top of the at the t uh, that comes from the main that I was using to hoist the mizzen up. And I had a retrieval line that was frayed, and the retrieval line broke after I'd done that. So I lost my um, I lost my uh, my halyard at the top of the of the of the mast. I know everyone does that. If you're if you're ever on a boat in a prolonged period of time, you're going to end up skying a halyard. Um, but with my bad foot, I wasn't feeling like climbing the mast, and I certainly wasn't going to send up either of my crew. I wasn't going to do that to them. But we happened to know that there was um, a big the biggest race in the Baltic in the summer is called the Gotland Runt, and there were a bunch of very, very expensive boats that had come over from Germany and from Poland, from Sweden, and they were basically putting the boat, they were practicing the week before, and they were most of the fleet was at Sandham before they went into Stockholm, which is where the race actually begins. And in fact, I think, Franz, less I'm much mistaken, the race that you and I started uh, interrupted the day that we left uh, Wasserham and the first day that you were with me, that actually is the Gotland Rund race. So you remember that. Um, so we, we got to Sandham. The place was absolutely heaving with people. A lot of really nice, fast race boats there. There were TP-52s. There, were, there, were some, some, there was a lot of boat porn there. Um, and I found a young German rigger who was about 18 years old, and he was just cooking something on a little camp stove by the side of his boat with his friends, and they were drinking beer. And I said to him, hey, I need someone to climb my mast. He said, I'll do it. And I said, what, do you, what can I pay you? And he said, a six-pack. <laughs> and ge generous soul that I – so, it, you know, it took him two minutes to get up there and retrieve the halyard for me. And generous soul that I am, I gave him more than a six-pack. I had a bottle of rum on board that I gave him, and he was happy, and I was happy. So uh, that was that was fine. Um, and so we we left um, so we left Sandham, and at this point, I think I was a couple of days from my next crew arriving, and I had to get back to Notalia. So I headed north again. Uh, we sailed north. The wind was actually finally starting to blow. It had been it had been pretty calm except for when the the first day, as I said, when we had thirty knot headwinds. But we had a nice down, down um, downwind sail from Sandham heading north back up to uh, Notalia. But we stopped in at Fudersund just because I'd heard good things about it. And as I said, that's the other island next to Bledo. And I think I had one of the best meals I've ever had in my life in a place there called the Fudersund uh, Vordhaus. And Vordhaus is like a, it's just a, like an inn that's been there for travelers for a couple of hundred years. And they had a very um, ambitious chef there who makes Swedish nouvelle cuisine, and it was terrific. Um, and the, the most interesting part of that, Franz, and the, we, we, we had seating outside in this gorgeous patio area where they had floor-to-ceiling windows, and we looked out over the fairway. And sort of periodically during the course of the evening, the whole of the window outside would be filled by one passenger ship after another. I mean, the passenger <laughs> ships they had, they were pretty big, but they would fill the whole window as they went by, which is kind of a – it makes you feel very small. Let me put it that way. Um, so we headed up to Nortalia after that. Uh, Mike and Muriel got off the boat and then I had new guests arriving, um, uh, Jen and Scott, who I sail with 
on a boat called Forgiveness, which is a J124 uh, in the marina, which I've done a couple of Newport Ensenadas with them. Wonderful people, good sailors, very easy going. And from there, we basically headed out um, and continued to do, you know, as I said, the greatest hits of the uh, of the Stockholm Archipelago. So we went to places that you and I have been to before, um, Marl McVan, uh, Biscopson. Um, you've got a great play, uh, you've Dallero. got a great memory for this. I can I can never remember the names. I need to keep a better journal than I, than I do. <laughs> well. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, I've refreshed my memory, but this is the benefit of writing a blog because you have a permanent record and you yeah. can go back and say, oh, I remember this and I remember that. Um, and and as I excuse me, and as I said, um, I, I they brought with them um, some my New Balance sneakers with the insoles, ah. which was fine. Now originally there was, but there's a, there's another there's another physical ailment coming my way, uh, but I guess that's just part of getting older, right? So yeah. Hey, hold on, hold yeah. on, Neil. How often do you change crews? Do you give crew one week or two weeks? What is, what is your usual for your for your crew member for your new? Crews? It really. It, I'm going to be quite blunt. It really depends on how much I like them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I got two days, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, typically I look at the best drop-off points where people can have easy access back mm -hmm. into Stockholm. Uh, and I also time it around the publication of my newspaper because, as you know, I work one day a week when I'm out there, typically on a Thursday. Yep. So I'll have a crew arrive. I'll figure out that I'm in a place with decent Wi-Fi one day a week. And then I'll look at the following weekend, and Saturdays or Sundays is a good day for people to get off the boat. New people can come. They can get used to the boat. I can get used to them, but I'm giving them their full attention, my full attention for a few days. So it's usually, you know, I always tell people, don't bother coming if you're going if you want to come for less than seven days. That's a yeah. waste of your time because you're right. on the other side of the world. Um, so that's really pretty much how I do it. But I looked at this particular um, – uh, I had five different crews coming. I looked at what I knew would be the best one on the East Coast, and I invited the people I like the best. Um, for the, <laughs> and and it, it, it makes sense. I mean, partly it's a reward, but partly you know that you can tolerate these people and they can tolerate you for two weeks or for 10 days. And there are other people who perhaps you're not quite so sure of. You may end up being best of friends with them, but you've never been with them on for seven right. days. Right. It's, it's always a risk to take somebody you don't know with you. You know? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. just like the first time I took you, you turned out to be a lifetime friend, but we didn't know that at the time. So that's... no, no, but you've, yeah, it's, you've got to, you've got to take a risk, but that's what sailing is about. You can have a wonderful adventure just as much as a bad experience. Right. So, <laughs> that's right. You still remember. Um, <laughs> um, so what was interesting about this crew was originally there were supposed to be three of them. The third one was a, a realtor, a friend of ours called Lauren, who's done a lot of sailing with us. Um, but she had a, a big deal that she was closing on a house that she was selling on the west side of L.A. She was going to make a lot of commission. And she just said, can I come a week later because the second crew were with me for two weeks? And I said, it's fine. What do, I understand this is a lot of money that you'll be missing out on. You, you can't, you know. But what she did tell me before she arrived, she 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 texted me and she said I was exposed to COVID through my neighbor. She said I didn't catch it as far as I know. She said I tested negative, but I want to let you know before I get on the boat. 
So I said, uh, that's okay. I, I felt like I'd been exposed to it numerous times through my kids. And um, so she met up with us um, a few days down the road in a place called Dalaro. And subsequently, I started to feel not so good, and I did end up contracting COVID. So, oh, jeez. That's too bad. So, so I had started off with, um, with uh, plantar fasciitis, and just as that, the symptoms of that started to ease, and we were coming into Stockholm, I ended up with, uh, with, with COVID. So it was just, uh, as I said, it was, it, it was challenging in a lot of ways this summer. Um, but uh, the, I ended up having to, to send, I had a new group arriving, my third crew, and I had to, you know, um, make a difficult phone call to them in the same way that I had, I'd had to do it right at the beginning and say, look, we're going to have to adjust uh, our plans a little bit. And fortunately, they were very agreeable too. They just said, look, however long it takes you to recover. And I think at the time I was expecting it to take me three or four days because that's what I'd heard anecdotally from everyone else. Mm-hmm. We, um, they had plenty of time to sightsee in Stockholm. And um, we just pushed off, you know, three or four days later. And it's, and this is the beautiful thing about sailors in general. I mean, they are flexible. They understand that things happen, whether it's wind or equipment failure or illness or whatever. These things happen and you just have to be flexible. Yeah, yeah. So were you picking them up in Stockholm or were you out in the, out in the Netherlands again? Yeah, no, I, I picked them up in Stockholm. Okay. Um, so the... Uh, the the rest of the crew and more details precise details will be on my website i'm going to upload a, a bunch of new content there in about uh, seven days but essentially we went um once i met the crew in nortalia we went back to Furusund. we went back to Pada Set for a for a um a bows too we experienced we went down to Biskopsen where you and I went which was the first bows to place that you and I went to okay mm-hmm. um we also went to Smadaro which is the very small little harbor with the hotel right there with uh, which I think you I think you came to that one with me as well um and then we went to Dalaro and then we headed back from there so all of this is within a day's sail of Stockholm and each of these journeys typically the most we did on one day, I think, is about 30 nautical miles. But typically okay. we were mm-hmm. going bet- between 10 and 20. And it's the same. And the conditions were essentially the same. You know, it's 70 degrees, 75 degrees during the day. Uh, steady 8 to 10 knot winds, usually either on the beam or on the quarter. So really very civilized sailing, nothing too demanding, nothing too upsetting, uh, nothing that uh, exhausted us so that we had plenty of energy left for cocktail hour at 6 p.m. in the cockpit, which, as you know, is a very important part of uh, any sailing trip. You know, I've sailed in the Mediterranean for so many years, and in the summer it is so crowded and so hot. I think you actually picked a better place because I'm gone for – you know, let's say two months, and it's it could be the best two months up in uh, up in Sweden too. And you've got these delightful temperatures, which to me, seventy degrees sounds a lot better than uh, the ninety degrees with a hundred percent humidity. But uh, you know, you've got a delightful place, and not many people think about that. How much time do you actually spend on a boat? You think, well, I'm going to go to Greece. Well, yeah, that's great, but unless you're a live aboard year round. Sweden's a pretty damn nice place. It sounds like. <laughs> well, you you have you have the benefit of um, 
almost 30 years of experience sailing in the med and it's funny because i have this conversation it seems like once or twice a month with people and i people always ask me why did you buy a boat in sweden and i tell them that my initial plan it was just that was where the boat was and i was buying it from andy from the sailing in the mediterranean podcast so i was buying with a lot of confidence you mean uh, the the 59 north podcast yeah i beg your pardon yeah i think <laughs> sorry to that's okay that's the okay yeah um, and I had spent a lot of time in Sweden because we have family friends there, but I never expected that um, seven years later I would still be there. My original plan, as I tell everyone, was to come down to the Mediterranean, but I've, sailed, I've had the pleasure of sailing with you three times there, and um, I totally understand and empathize with your concerns. You, you, last time, I think you called it Paradise Lost, um, because the temperatures are more like the Sahara there in the summer than the Mediterranean now. Um, and I remember the time last year when you and I were sailing from Italy en route to Menorca, and we were in that one little harbour en route to Sardinia, and it must have been 100 degrees at 11 o'clock at night. We're on the, on, the bat, on, the, on the deck trying to stay cool. And it's so crowded. And it's so crowded. And that's, that's the other thing. I, part of the beauty of sailing is that you have elbow room. You know, I've lived in a big city all my life. The notion of space being um, at a premium and a, a limited resource that you have to fight for is just anathema to me. That, that's not why I go sailing. <laughs> so the notion of, well, let's, we have to go to this lovely little harbor and it's really beautiful and it's got great restaurants. Oh, but we're going to have to leave at 3 a.m. because if you get there after 2 p.m., there's nothing left. You know, it, 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 there's no space left. That adds a level of anxiety and um, neurosis that nobody wants when they're going sailing. So for me, Sweden is just it's just ideal. It's been uh, it's been a wonderful place to spend the last few summers. Well, what saves Sweden is they don't have a bunch of charter fleets up there. They may right. have one or two, but they don't have these hundreds and hundreds of charter boats that are going out for a week at a time and sucking up the space. So. Well, well, I did bump into a couple of people who'd actually chartered boats, and it does seem as though the market there is private boat owners who rent out their boats as you would uh, an Airbnb. Ah, okay. Uh, and, and, and believe me, I didn't bump into many of them. Uh, you know, it's in, the, in the years that I've been doing this, it's just literally a handful. Um, because, and I saw – I heard an American accent, and I saw someone on a hunter – and I said, to, I sort of hailed them. I said, well, this is unbelievable. I, I, we don't get Americans up here, and we certainly don't see hunters. And it turns out that this hunter was owned by a man in Stockholm and that he would rent it out for a week or two weeks at a time to people who were looking, you know, because he filled the gap um, that the charter companies don't, don't fill. But that, of course, is for our benefit because it means that there aren't companies out there promoting the region trying to fulfill to to fill their inventory you know so yeah yeah, yeah. no it's still it's it's fantastic and as i said before you know i live in a hot climate i live in southern california i don't necessarily have to go sailing in a place where there's where, where it's you know seven, 70 degrees is gorgeous for me as far as i'm concerned so. yeah yeah when you go back to sweet uh, stockholm do you go to the same arena that you and i met at initially yeah, really, that's the only game in town. The place you're referring to is called Vasahamnen. Um, there are other marinas. Uh, most of them are full of private boats and don't have, have a lot of guest docks, and some of them are owned by yacht clubs. So you can certainly find them. 
but you can almost always get into Wasserhamnen because of the size of it. Um, and its location is perfect. It's right on this island called, uh, again, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, <laughs> Jorgården, and it's right next to uh, the Swedish amusement park called Gronolund. Mm -hmm. So you can literally get on a, well, you know, you remember how easy the transport mm -hmm. links were. You great. can get, you yeah. can walk to the tram station in about 30 seconds from the harbour, or you can take a ferry from Gronolund anywhere. Um, it will cost you a dollar eighty, two dollars, two twenty-five, depending what time you, you know, to get over to all of the islands. Stockholm is an archipelago, and there are three or four really big, famous islands there, and you can get to every one within five or ten minutes on a boat. So yeah, it, and so and Vasahamlin is right there at the hub of it. So yes, that's uh, it's an easy, it's a great place too for people who want to sightsee. They can sleep on the boat and spend a couple of you know, evenings out of bars or restaurants or whatever. So it's perfect. Yeah, it's a great spot. I'm zoomed in on it right now on Google Earth and remembering it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when my friends from uh, uh, the, the boat Forgiveness, as I said, Jen, Scott and Lauren got off the boat, I was staying in a hotel just because I was, as I said, suffering from COVID. And right next to Wasserhamnen, there's a place called the Pop House Hotel, which has got an ABBA museum in the bottom. And the whole place is ABBA themed, but it's a terrific little hotel. Uh, and it was a place where I needed to spend three or four days to recuperate. Um, and so I did. And then my, my next crew arrived, which was Michelle Kringen, who's a very good sailor. She sails five or six times a week during the season out here. And her son, Devon, who's an adult, I mean, he's in his late 30s or early 40s, I think. Um, and he wasn't that experienced a sailor, but he learned quickly and he was very, very easy to get on with. And so we took the boat from Stockholm to the entrance of the Yotta Canal. Um, the actual town that we ended up in was called Soda Copping, which is S-O-D-E-R. K-O-P-I-N-G. So that's at the beginning of the of, of the Yotta Canal. But it, it was, you know, we we took um, a, we took a, a circuitous route. We basically headed south uh, back to Dalaro and then we headed west. So we went to uh, a place called Uto, U-T-O which is a sort of a, it's a party island, a lot of young people with a sort of a sprawling campsite there. Uh, and very, uh, ferries seem to arrive about every 45 minutes from Stockholm. Um, nothing really remarkable about it. Nice, um, nice bar, nice sauna, a decent restaurant, and uh, a lot of nice walks. Uh, a couple of restaurants with live music playing, um, not particularly beautiful, but, but certainly not ugly and pleasant enough. So we. So, so I'm looking at that. That's an island. Where were you on that long little peninsula that comes up from the uh, southwest or on the other side near Storasand then? I think we were up on the north side of it, unless oh, okay. I'm much mistaken. Okay. Oh. And the, the harbour goes both sides in point of fact um let me see i'm just launching it too yeah so if you are looking at the island and you see the red dot in the middle mm -hmm. if you go up to i think it is 
Groovebin. Yep, I see that. There. Okay, right, that looks up like there, a, yeah. the harbor is just up there, and it's sort of you can zoom in, and I think the harbor is either side of that. In fact, yeah, there's a little green thing showing there's a ferry, and mm -hmm. you'll see, and you'll see there as you zoom in, you'll begin to see the the berths there. Yep. And basically, you can come in on the northeast side. Um, it's just a little closer to the um, to the facilities, and we were able to find one spot. Uh, but if you can't get in there, you can always go around the island and come in the other side from the southwest side. Um, there's plenty of always plenty of spots there. It's just a little further walk to the bathroom. That's all. Yeah, it looks like uh, there's not any boats anchored. They're all tied up there. So is that what you yeah. did then? Okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't drop anchor. Uh, most of the time, in fact, I didn't drop anchor once while I was there. I did bows too, as I said, on a few occasions. But in general, with my guests, I like to give them the bows to experience, and if they uh, as quickly, sort of like the first or the second night. And then if they want to do more of that, I'm certainly amenable to that. But I operate under the under the assumption that people are going to want to take showers, that they're going to want to have a sauna, and they're going to want to wash their clothes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always easier to 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 add in a little more uh, of a rustic experience rather than start off with a rustic experience and then have them say, you know, Neil, I'm tired of being grubby and dirty. Can I have some facilities, please? You know, I, try, <laughs> I, try, I try to be a good host. Then you are. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I do my best. I want everyone to always say that they that they can't wait to come back, and most most folks do. So, um, yeah, mission accomplished there. I think. Um, so, after Uto, we headed to um, a place called Prosa, which T R O S A. Um, have you found that? Yep. Okay. So Trosser is an interesting spot. It's not a particularly nice sail to get down there. Um, there's a lot of passenger ships and a lot of uh, freight ferries there. And the landscape is not particularly interesting to look at. But Trosser itself is absolutely delightful. Um, if you zoom into the – do you see the little thing that says Trosser Centrum? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you go immediately south of that, you'll see that there is a an inlet. If you go south, you'll see that there's a harbour and there's a place that says Crosser Gastan, and there's sort of two little separate, actually three little separate bays there. Not bays, but like little harbours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then immediately to the left of those, there is an inlet that goes up uh, into the town. And it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but basically it's a ferry, I beg your pardon, it's a wharf where you can moor either side. And some of them, there's a sort of a boatyard there and there's a few private areas owned by, uh, local, by a, a local um, yacht club. But as you get up, there's a, a little further, there's a little place there that says Fiskgarten, which means, I think, fish, fish Garden or Fish Street. And right there is a cobbled cobblestone plaza where you can side tie and that's where we side tie we were looking around in the harbor down at the main entrance and we couldn't find a thing and we heard this man whistling at us it's just the way most swedes are they're so friendly and they said hey if you want to come up here there's a place where you can where you can tie up and he actually walked up the wharf about half a mile guiding us pointing towards where, where we should go 
And we tied up here and there was a restaurant with live music. There was an ice cream place there and it was so beautifully um, sheltered. And I guess at some point in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, someone from the local gas town came and put a little sign on a little note on our boat, just on our um, on our rigging, just saying to us, hey, on the shrouds, just saying, hey, hope you enjoyed your stay, but you need to come and pay for your for your overnight. <laughs> <laughs> And it was it was nothing. It was eighteen dollars, twenty dollars, something like that. And it was so nice. Um, and again, I took a lot of pictures there because the, the the town just to the north of that is full of these tiny little alleyways, these cobblestone streets. And at this time of year, the roses and the hollyhocks are in full bloom. Lovely, charming little restaurants, a library, a pharmacy, uh, ice cream places, bakeries. You know that that. The Swedish summer is very magical and very specific. And in Trosso, it was even though I've experienced it many, many times in many places in Sweden, it was one of those places where you stop and you take a deep breath and just say, oh, I'm so lucky to be here. This is so fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I'm following that up. It looks like there's a bunch of little footbridges that go across that. So you can't go very far up. Yeah. Then. Yeah. So after Fiskgarden, you can't, the bridges begin. And so you couldn't, we couldn't go there. So we we would just, we, as I said, we stopped there uh, and tied up next to the restaurant and next to the ice cream store. And then we spent the next morning, which I think was a Sunday morning, and we just spent it walking up that, um, uh, you know, I, I could have followed it all the way up. I think we followed it up maybe about a mile. But it was so gorgeous because the lovely little footbridges, the wildflowers nodding in every alley and every corner and every, you know, flower bed. Um, and, um, these little boats that they have there, I mean, they're just like little dinghies, um, with little outboard engines that can fit underneath the, the, the footbridges. So it was really, it was just, it was just lovely. And, um, I would encourage listeners, as I said, to check out my blog, because I've got quite a big piece on, on that there. And it's, uh, it's, it was fantastic. Um, Franz, how, how long are we into this now? This, We're into uh, it about, uh, 57 minutes. Okay. So we probably need to come back, and uh, or or I can stop it here, and we can continue talking if you've got the time, Neil. Well, let's just do until I get into the into the um, into the Yotta Canal. Okay. I mean, because that sounds really, like a podcast just by itself. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to do a, one on the Yotta Canal and one on the West Coast. Okay. Um, okay. All right. So, so after Trossa, we headed we headed to a place called Oxelosund which is O-X-E-L-O-U-N-D. Hold on. I was just putting a place mark out there. Okay. O-X-E-L-O-S-U-N-D. Okay, there we go. Yes. Thank goodness they fill it in there for you if you start typing in anything. All right. Yes, they do. <laughs> okay. All right. So Oxelosund was the it looks like a larger least, a larger town then does yeah, yeah yeah Oxelosund really was the least charming of any place that I went this whole summer. Um, I chose it originally because it was going to be a launching point for us to go over um, to the island, over to um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of Gotland, which is what we had originally planned to do with uh, with that crew. 
but the thing was because i had covid and i'd lost four days we had to strike gotland off the itinerary unfortunately but i still looked at oxelison and i thought it was a perfect drop a uh, stop off place en route to the uh, canal so we stopped off at oxelisund i don't have anything nice to say about it uh it it, it, it was an industrial port. Um, the um, the harbour was very was not charming at all. The town was not charming. It was just uh, a place that you stop en route to somewhere else. Just some place to pick up some groceries and get get out of there. Then, huh? Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so the next day, which was the last night on board for my third crew, we went to a place called Mem. And actually, um, if you put Mem Sluice, I think that might be better. So, uh, I beg your pardon, it's M-E-M-S. That's the first word. Okay, there's Sluice. Okay. Okay. So, Sluice is the word for lock um, in the same way that we use Sluice, S-L-I-U-I-C-E, to, you know, you sluice down uh, uh, at the deck. Uh, sluice means lock. So we came across that sluice is everywhere. But Mem Sluice is up an inlet on the way to soda copping. And that basically is the entrance to the Yotta Canal. So what you essentially do is if you get there during opening hours, you, you always, if you want to go through the, the, the Yotta Canal, and say that's a whole other thing that we can spend another podcast on. But just in terms of the bare bones of it, you go onto the Yotta Canal website ahead of time. You sign up, usually because they limit the amount of boats that can go through, and you get a confirmation number. And then when you enter, whether you're entering from the east side or the west side, at the entrance there is a lock and there is a lock keeper. You give them your confirmation number and they give you a ticket to put on your boat so that each subsequent lock that you go through, the lock keeper can see that you've paid. It's your entry ticket. Uh, we got there after dark and it was raining. Well, I say after dark in the Swedish twilight. Um, and all, all the all the the, the locks, it's very well organized, have wooden jetties both coming and going. So no matter which way you're going upstream or downstream, there's always a place if you get there and it's that you can tie up for the night. It's always sheltered. So we spent the first night there, um, myself and Michelle and her son, Devon. And the next day we went through the lock, the first lock there at Mems. And then now we are in the canal proper. And um, we went about two miles down the down the canal to a place called Soda Chopping, which it's still a small town. But because it's considered the entrance, although it's not really the entrance, it's the main commercial entrance to the Yacht Canal. It's sort of more important uh, than its size would suggest. And they got off the boat there and um, I got off the boat, too, left the boat in the in the in the little harbor there and uh, went to pick up my family in in Stockholm to bring them back for what turned out to be a whole nother adventure, so, which we can cover next time. So did you rent a car and go into Stockholm, or how did you get back no, to Stockholm? No, I didn't. We just looked at the the, the, the timetable of the bus. We walked down to uh, the bus, and we, we took a bus into um, a town whose name escapes me where we were able to get a train, and then we got a train that took us right into central Stockholm. So the journey, the journey time was about an hour and a half for everything from my boat into the central Stockholm. And I think the uh, the bus cost us about five dollars, and the train train was a bit more expensive. The train was about thirty dollars for the return. But um, you know, I think we we left at about ten a.m. and we were in Stockholm by eleven thirty. So. You know, it's nice and easy, but that's one of the things the Swedes do very well is the public transport. Great, great. 
All right, Neil, I want to hear all about the canal trip because that sounds very interesting. So let's call it a day right now. I'm going to try to get this posted today uh, because I'm uh, asking people if they're interested in sailing with me to get a hold of me because I have those two openings now uh, on that one leg. So I'm going to get this out there, and then we can look to doing another podcast perhaps next week or whenever you're free. Okay. That sounds like a good idea. All right. Thanks, Neil. All right. No worries. Speak to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Again, if you need to get a hold of me, my email address is franz1 at medsailor.com. Thanks for listening.